Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Hoosier Huddle Podcast. I'm Sammy Jacobs, your host, along with us is co-host TJ Inman. And today we are stepping back outside of the Big Ten footprint to do our uh, previews of other conferences. This week's conferences are the ACC and the SEC. So we'll take a trip down south and to the East Coast uh, to review some of those football teams Again, we'll go over, you know, review what happened last year, coaching changes that occurred in the conference, give you our predictions, as well as uh, the game of the year and a a wild card team to watch. Uh, Before we start and bring TJ in, we have a quick word from our friends over at SeatGeek. I'd like to take a second to introduce our newest friends from SeatGeek. Let them take the confusion out of your ticket-buying experience. Instead of shopping dozens of sites to find the best deal, let SeatGeek do the work for you. Their app scans the web for the best deals to your favorite game, concert, or show and rates them on a scale of 0 to 10 to let you know if you're getting the best bang for your buck. A green dot marks great deals, yellow dot good deals, and red dot not so good deals. Use promo code ACAA at checkout to receive $20 off your first purchase. That's two free beers at the stadium on them. What are you waiting for? That's promo code ACAA for $20 off your first purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. Thank you to our friends from SeatGeek, and if you're looking for tickets, please visit them. Use that promo code, and hopefully you have a terrific time. Now we bring in TJ Inman on this rainy Monday evening here in Indianapolis. TJ, how are you? Yeah, doing great. Uh, certainly looking forward to a good conversation on uh, a pair of conferences today as our kind of preseason coverage, if you will, ramps up. Uh, I know it's, uh, the media days are over, and it really feels like college football is right around the corner, which um, I know for all of us and for everybody listening is really exciting. Um, as I was previewing the two conferences, kind of going through everything and um, – preparing for the season and for this podcast, I'm really struck by one of these conferences, how kind of deep it is. Um, And I think a lot of similarities to the Big Ten. Uh, And then one of the conferences uh, I found to be, you know, pretty lacking, to be honest, outside of one supernova uh, at the top. So uh, it'll be interesting to, to kind of go through them and um, see if we have a consensus on things or uh, have some disagreements we can track throughout the season. Yeah, there's definitely, as I was going through both of these conferences, there are things that, that I'm going to point out as we go through both of them. Uh, I, I want to start with the ACC, and mm-hmm. and that conference uh, will end with the SEC. Uh, the ACC, 
we're not going to include Notre Dame today in this. Uh, they're still an independent, although they play five ACC teams a year. Um, it's just it doesn't count as a conference game, and, and I don't think uh, in previewing a conference uh, we should include them. If you want to be included in a conference preview, join a conference. Uh, that'll go for UConn mm-hmm. next year, Army as well, and uh, and UMass and BYU. Um, but with starting with the ACC last year, uh, Clemson won the ACC, won the national title, went 15 and 0, and basically it was Clemson and and the rest of the ACC. Uh, you had Pitt. Pitt won the the Coastal Championship. That was a wide-open division that looked like Virginia had a, had a stranglehold on it for a while. Pitt went to Virginia and won and ended up winning um, winning the division. They've had a, a different division winner in the coast over the last three years. Pitt won in 2018, Miami in 17, and Virginia Tech in 16. And it, it's just... It's one of these conferences that or conference division that's wide open. And I think if you take Clemson out of the mix, both divisions are wide open. But uh, Clemson is not leaving the ACC anytime soon. So, um, spoiler alert, TJ, I'm picking Clemson to win the ACC again. Uh, but let's go over coaching changes yep. uh, first. There, there are a handful of coaching changes in the ACC uh, mm-hmm. Louisville. Uh, let's start with Louisville. Bobby Petrino is out. That program just fell in a sinkhole with him there, uh, and now they're bringing in Scott Satterfield from Appalachian State, who did a terrific job transitioning that program to um, to FBS and, and becoming a real good Group of Five team that that really nobody wants to play uh, in Appalachian State. We'll talk more about them next week. Uh, but Scott Satterfield's in at Louisville. It'll be interesting to see because they really Louisville really bottomed out last year. I, I believe they went two and ten. Uh, they went two and ten, um, zero and eight in the conference, and I think they had more talent on paper than that. But the the coaching situation just poisoned that tree uh, real quick, and it went downhill real fast. Uh, so we'll see what Scott Satterfield could do at. At Louisville in Miami, Mark Richt is out. He retired after two seasons at Miami. Uh, he took them to an Orange Bowl, lost Wisconsin, um, and then really never got that swag back last year. Had an uninspired pinstripe bowl game against Wisconsin again. Uh, just outclassed by – and Wisconsin, they're a good program, but they were not real good last year. And Wisconsin took them behind the, the woodshed at Yankee Stadium and, and just – Beat the heck out of them. Um, and is Manny Diaz. Uh, this is an interesting coaching carousel. If you're a Temple fan, uh, Manny Diaz was going to be the head coach of Temple. I think he was for about two weeks. Miami came calling, and Miami and Manny Diaz have, have gone hand-in-hand hand for a while. Uh, and this was his dream job. And, and you can't – as bad as it is for Temple, you can't blame Manny Diaz for taking his dream job. Uh, when it opened, we'll see what they could do. If they could recapture some of that turnover chain magic, uh, they do have Tate Martell now a quarterback. Um, and it's just, there's too much talent in South Florida for Miami to be like just mediocre. 
Uh, elsewhere in the ACC, UNC, and this is where it's starting to get a little bit weird. UNC, Larry Fedora is out. They take the DeLorean and go back to the mid-90s and hire Mac Brown. Uh, Mac Brown has been out of college football for the last few years. Uh, for those of you who watch noon games on, on ESPN2, Mac Brown has been on there. I've heard uh, complaints about his announcing skills, so uh, don't worry. You don't have to listen to him on ESPN2. Noon games anymore. He is now coaching at UNC. I think this is I, – I really don't know what to think of this move other than it's kind of like a reach. Um, they, he was successful before he went to Texas at UNC. Uh, UNC has had some really good years after that. They've had some really bad years after that, but they never had that sustained level of success that you think could happen in, in the Carolina area where you have some good recruits, you're close to Charlotte, um, and things like that. So we'll see what Mac Brown can do in year two, how much time, or in tenured number two, uh, and we'll see how much time they give them, and, and whether or not the old guy is still uh, still hip to these uh, younger recruits. Georgia Tech, they will not be running the triple option anymore. It is going to be really really weird watching Georgia Tech and not have them run uh, the triple option. With Paul Johnson is out, he retired. In comes Jeff Collins again from Temple. Um, two Temple coaches down in, in the ACC now. Uh, it's going to take a while for Georgia Tech to, to change this around. You're, you're totally redoing the offense, becoming a, a more traditional offense. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. Georgia Tech has always been tough. Uh, they had won a couple conference titles with the option. They had won a couple division titles with the, the option. It was just something different that everybody had to prepare for. And um, while they, they didn't have all the best athletes that some of these other ACC schools had, they ran that option pretty darn well and um, and really did a good job with that. Uh, with your thoughts on the coaching staff uh, changes, TJ? I think there's a couple of very interesting ones. Uh, Scott Satterfield, I think, made a lot of sense. Um, the thing that jumps out there is that uh, the atmosphere surrounding that program uh, at Louisville had gotten apparently very toxic and negative um, with the players around Bobby Petrino. It showed on the field. Uh, Scott Satterfield has said most recently at Media Day um, that really the first – job that he had was to as he put it love the guys up um you know it required a lot of rebuilding of confidence rebuilding of morale um i do think it's going to take a little bit of time obviously to build the program um however uh i i do think that the buy-in factor is going to be very high for louisville uh just because it's not bobby petrino um so I, I think that they won't have any problem having a higher level of effort uh, on the field, but I, I do think it's from a talent perspective, it, it looks a bit grim uh, for this year for Louisville, but I, I think that that will ultimately work um, for Satterfield at Louisville. I, I don't know what the ceiling is for that program. We might have seen it with Lamar Jackson, uh, but I, I do think that it'll be a, a successful tenure for Satterfield. Um, 
looking at North Carolina. Um, but yeah, one I more thing on, on Louisville, TJ. Yeah. Uh, maybe a little buyer's remorse there, too. They had their eyes and everybody's heart set on Jeff sure. Brown. Sure. They were convinced he was going to come back home, and he stayed at Purdue. So, you know, yeah. it has nothing to do with Scott Satterfield. He's a terrific coach, but it, it's kind of – you see it a little bit with Indiana basketball where – you have half the fan base is like, oh, I wish I had this guy and can't really buy into the current the current head coach or, you know, sure. head coaches in the past. Um, and that's going to be something interesting to watch as well. So, yeah, go on with Mac Brown. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the term that's been thrown around quite a bit is CEO um, is kind of a delegator uh, a guy that's going to be really good at booster events and uh, glad handing big money donors and building up the, the fundraising efforts. Now, Mac Brown has said, look, I gave too much power to my assistants at Texas. Uh, I will not be doing that this time around. Uh, like the coordinator hires that he had, it seemed, they seem like progressive moves. Uh, unlike Les Miles at Kansas, who kind of went, uh, with comfortable hires for himself. Uh, it seems like Mac Brown took hot up-and-coming young coaches, which I, I think is the way to go uh, in situations like that. You've got to get guys that are aggressive and want that, uh, you know, still have that drive. Um, so I, I'm interested to see how it works because I think the pieces are there to have some success in a short-term period, maybe a three- to four-year stint here for Brown. Uh, build the program up, and then it turns into an attractive job for either one of those young assistants uh, that it can establish themselves, or you know, you go out and hire somebody else uh, with the increased um, fundraising efforts to Mac Brown kind of spearheads. Um, for this year, not real high on what they've got, um, but I, I do think that they could be a little better than they were last year, which isn't saying a ton. Um, I think that Miami, Manny Diaz, makes a lot of sense. We'll talk about Miami some. Uh, they're a real head-scratcher to me. Uh, I don't think that Miami is close to returning to an elite program. Uh, I, I don't see it. Um, and that's not anything against Manny Diaz. I just I don't think they're going to catch that lightning in the bottle. Uh, I think there's too many programs that are you know, competing for those players in Florida. Uh, great talent base, but I mean, there's so many programs, really quality programs, that are coming in and, and taking those players. Uh, I really think it's a tall order for Miami to get all of that back or even most of it back. Uh, and then Georgia Tech, Jeff Collins um, the changing that program entirely from his recruiting efforts, uh, really attempting to integrate uh, the city of Atlanta into that program and rebranding what Georgia Tech football is. Uh, if you follow his social media posts um, or, or, you know, check those out, he's very aggressive in branding it as, you know, an Atlanta kind of Atlanta's school. 
really going for that. We see that some with Chicago, uh, with Illinois and Northwestern battling over it. Georgia Tech really is in Atlanta. Like, it, it's in the yep. city. Uh, very interesting program. It's felt like a sleeping giant uh, for a long time. You hear that term thrown around a lot with it. Uh, you see a lot of Jeff Collins with, you know, Waffle House stuff, with, uh, you know, artists or, or rappers that uh, call Atlanta home, bringing them into the program some, really trying to up the cool factor. Um, they're finally no longer with Russell Athletic. They're with Adidas, I believe. So it's a, it's a big change, but from a strictly on-field perspective, like you said, it's going to take a while because the, the players that you recruit – and the types of guys you recruit, which Paul Johnson didn't want to have anything to do with high-level recruiting, uh, the types of guys you recruit for the triple option, very, very different than what you're going to recruit for Jeff Collins. Uh, now, what type of system are they going to run? He's been a bit wishy-washy about that, calling it like a pro-style spread, up-tempo, like a bunch of contradicting things that was just – coach speak that told us absolutely nothing about his actual intentions for their offense, but basic uh, words that they use to describe offense everywhere else. Pro style spread, option spread, fields, you know, slow, fast, tempo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, To go back to, to, to UNC, we're going to transition now into the schedules and and winners. There is a very, quirky schedule with UNC and Wake Forest. They will be playing a non-conference game against each other in September. Um, This is something that as an IU fan, I keep an eye on, especially if they start moving towards getting, getting rid of an FCS, you know, an FCS game, which I think is a bad idea. Uh, You know, FCS programs need these, need these games. Um, and and mm-hmm. teams like IU need the win, and I, I think it's mutually beneficial. Uh, but if they do move into a, a game where you have to schedule a Power Five opponent, uh, in-conference, non-conference games uh, could be attractive for the Big Ten. I, if I'm Indiana, I, I look at playing Illinois and Minnesota and start trying to build rivalries that way, maybe Northwestern every year as well. Um, they're, they're teams that are close, especially Illinois and Northwestern uh, in the West. They're teams that are close in proximity. Uh, you, I, I don't know the years on rotation, but you don't play them any, every year. But if, if you had played them every year, maybe you build a little bit of a rivalry um, with both of them. So that's a scheduling quirk in the ACC. I forgot exactly what week it is, uh, but it, it's – it's allowed. I forgot which technicality it was under, uh, but I think they're doing this twice. It's a Friday night game, I believe, and I think it's good. Yep. You're on, um, you know, you're on Tobacco Road. You're you're in the same, you know, little triangle between Wake Forest and and Duke and and UNC. It, it should build that regional rivalry a little bit. It, it should gain local fan interest in. Uh, to be honest, if that game is not attended pretty well, at least when both teams are good, it should sell out when both teams are good. Uh, Wake Forest has a small stadium, and, and I think UNC is around fifty or 60,000. 
you should be able to to, to fill up 80% of that stadium. It, it creates a little bit of more of a rivalry on in-state and, and gains uh, some fan interest as well. Plus, it gives you a winnable Power 5 game every other year. Uh, if you look at it, the home team is supposed to win those games. Uh, and, and Wake Forest is is trending up right now while, while UNC is going through a, a rebuild and a coaching change. That's a nice win and a nice feather in the cap for uh, for UNC. So that's something that maybe TJ will talk about in the future uh, if and when conferences realign, if and when conferences go to a, a universal schedule uh, and things like that. But it's just something that, as an IU fan, you, you point at and go, hmm, that's an interesting, creative way to schedule a Power 5 yeah. team without – going and playing, you know, Missouri or, or somebody um, who, you know, you're taking a step up in, in weight class uh, to play. Whereas if, you, if IU had scheduled Northwestern or uh, Illinois or Minnesota or one of these matchup teams, uh, you'd feel a little bit better about, um, you know, than playing playing a, a Power 5 team like Louisville down the road or even playing at Cincinnati in a couple of years as well. So let's go championship picks, uh, TJ. Uh, I I assume we'll both agree on the Atlantic as Clemson. I think it's Clemson Mm -hmm. and and everybody else. I don't think Florida State's going to be that good. NC State is going through, you know, sort of a rebuild uh, with Finley graduating. Louisville's being totally rebuilt. And then you have Wake Forest. Uh, Boston College and you know Syracuse. We'll see what they could do without Eric Dungey. Uh, if they can find a, a a quarterback, Clemson does have to go to Syracuse this year, and that could be that the last time up there they lost. Um, but Clemson's going to have to lose twice in order for somebody else to win the division. I don't see Clemson losing twice in the ACC. Uh, out of the coastal. No. Out of the the coastals, anybody. This might be a really fun division to watch. I think anybody could win it. Um, you have Miami, Virginia Tech. Outside of Georgia Tech, I think anybody, uh, and maybe North Carolina, anybody has a shot at it. Uh, you have Miami, Virginia Tech, Pittsburgh, Virginia, and, and Duke. Uh, even though Daniel Jones is gone from Duke, uh, we'll see. Cutcliffe always finds a way to be competitive. Uh, with that Duke program, I, I'm probably going to have to take Miami uh, with Tate Martell. I don't really feel that confident in it. I do think Virginia has a good team. I think Virginia Tech has a good team. But all of these teams in the past have shown that they've tripped up against uh, good competition or some random road trip they lose. Um, and it's it's just wide open. It's probably one of the more fun uh, divisions in college football. Uh, so I, I think Miami takes it, uh, and it, but it's going to be close. It's going to come down to, to a game or two um, in this division, and it, it's going to be really, really interesting uh, to see where they, they go. I think Miami has a favorable schedule. Um, their road games are, are North Carolina, Pittsburgh, Florida State, and Duke. Those are 
four winnable games, especially if Florida State continues to, to flounder under um, under Willie Taggart there. They get Louisville at home. They, they miss Clemson in the regular season. Uh, they don't play Syracuse. You know, they miss some of these top things. So schedule-wise, I, I think Miami, they get Virginia and Virginia Tech on back-to-back weeks at home as well. So I, I'm, I'm going to take Miami. How about you, DJ? Yeah, obviously Clemson. Um, I did have Syracuse finishing second in that division. I, I actually like Tommy DeVito quite a bit. Um, I think Syracuse is going to be a more well-rounded team than they were a season ago, but still pretty explosive offensively. Um, and I, I give them the edge at second in, the, in that division, um, which really is a cakewalk for Clemson. And then uh, on the other side, it's a division that reminds me uh, in terms of how open it is of the Big Ten West. Um, I do think the Big Ten West is better uh, overall in quality, but, um, you know, similar, really. Uh, I did end up going with Virginia, choosing them over Miami. I do think the Canes have a a little bit better schedule, uh, so that gave me some pause, but uh, ultimately – Went uh, went with Virginia's defense, Bronco Mendenhall. I have a lot of respect for him as a coach and a program builder. Um, and then Bryce Perkins, I think, is a uh, far superior quarterback to what Miami's going to bring to the table, uh, whoever they end up going with, whether it's Tate Martell, Nikosi Perry, uh, whoever they end up going with. I, I think we'll see. Um, I think we'll see Virginia uh, come out on top. But like I said, the schedule does give me pause as the Cavaliers uh, do have to go to Miami, um, and they also go to Pittsburgh. On a Friday night, too. Yeah, yeah, that they get, uh, you know, they do get Florida State, Duke, Georgia Tech, and Virginia Tech all at home. Uh, They really need to get over the hump against Virginia Tech. It's been a one-sided rivalry with them losing to the Hokies. and they really need to get over that one. And that one could have huge stakes on the line outside of just the rivalry. Uh, that'll be a huge game for, for Mendenhall to get that one for the Cavaliers. But I went with Virginia, and then Clemson uh, really stomped on them at the ACC title game. Uh, I think it sets up really well for Clemson to uh, more or less be unchallenged uh, outside of their own complacency. Yeah, it, it's – I mean, it's – one division is really interesting. The other division could be interesting. Um, it, and Syracuse gets Clemson at home as their homecoming game early in the season. I yeah. think September 14th up at the, the Carrier yeah. Dome. It'll be hot. It'll be rocking up in, up in uh, western New York. But it's, uh, you know, th- that – division with Clemson could be over. If they go in and, and roll Syracuse, that division could be over by the end of September while the other division's wide open. So let's go game of the year. Uh, my game of the year, I, I'd probably pick it between a tie between Syracuse and Clemson on September 14th and then mm-hmm. uh, Virginia at Miami uh, in October on a Friday night. That, that has – major division title implications. We saw Virginia was in it until November last year. If they go down to Miami and knock off the Hurricanes, that could, you know, vault them into contention for for the division title. You're right, it'll come down to that, uh, you know, the Commonwealth Cup 
down in with Virginia Tech, and they haven't won in a long time. Even with the, the teams when Virginia Tech has kind of been down and Virginia's kind of been on the rise, Virginia Tech's had their number. So that, that'll that be a game to watch. So I'm going to go split it between the two. Uh, Syracuse at, or Clemson at Syracuse on September 14th, and then Virginia at Miami uh, in October on a Friday night, I believe October 11th. Um, yep, October 11th on a Friday night, both on a short week it looks like. Um, Virginia's coming off a bye. So Miami on a short week, Virginia with extra time to prepare, and uh, that could be a, a fun game to watch as well. What are your game or games of the year in the ACC? Those are the two I was choosing between as well. Uh, Didn't really see a good third choice, to be honest, outside of Virginia, Virginia Tech. But that one's so late in the year, uh, you really don't know if anything outside of the rivalry is going to be on the line. So it's hard to pick that one. Uh, So I I did go with uh, Clemson at Syracuse. I think it'll be a fun atmosphere. Plus, you've got to give that one the edge just because uh, there are the national title implications uh, not for Syracuse, obviously, but for the Tigers. Uh, you know, a loss there certainly makes it interesting if, you know, if they're not that impressive the rest of the way. Uh, I still think they get in the playoff, but it, it would jeopardize them getting one of those top two seeds because the rest of their schedule outside of that game against A&M uh, is not going to offer them a lot of chances to impress the committee uh, outside of just, you know, hammering the crap out of teams. Uh, so that's a game that they, you know, they certainly could use as a statement game early on as they look, yeah, we've had all this hype. Yeah, we're back as returning champs. And yeah, we are just as good as we were before. Um, so I'm going to circle that one. And uh, uh, I think that'll be very intriguing. Not a lot of entertainment to be had in terms of competitiveness for Clemson this year, I think. But uh, that one, I, I think, will be a, a bit of a fight. Um, Syracuse did knock them off a couple seasons ago. So, uh, it, who knows? It could get interesting. Uh, Dino Babers is a quality coach that certainly has improved Syracuse to the point where they're intriguing. Hypothetical about Syracuse right now, looking at their schedule, let's say they beat Clemson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They start at, at Liberty, at Maryland, Clemson, Western Michigan, Holy Cross, Open week at NC State, Pittsburgh, at Florida State, Boston College, open at Duke, at Louisville, Wake Forest. Could they go undefeated? I, I think there's a chance. Um, well, I mean, nobody beat, outside yeah, of Clemson. Yeah, Clemson, you can beat anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Outside of the trip to Clemson, you know, everything else I think is a toss up. Um, oh, sure. NC State is, is going to be rebuilding. Florida State, you don't know what you're going to get. And then, you know, at Duke, a Daniel jones Duke team, and then a rebuilding Louisville team who, you know, if they're not performing well late in the season, you know, that that might, I don't want to say a pushover game, because uh, you could also get that where they're not performing well, but now they're gelling together and, and all these freshmen are now sophomores type of thing, and then Wake Forest at home. If they go undefeated, does Syracuse have a good enough resume to be included in the playoff? I think if you're the ACC champion and you have a win over Clemson and you're unbeaten, uh, absolutely, yeah. Yep. 
All right. Yeah, I think that you're probably going to need to play somebody good in the ACC title game. I think Syracuse is always going to have that stigma around them. And you got to hope that Liberty knocks off somebody, that Maryland goes to a bowl, and Western Michigan has a good year in the MAC. Nobody cares what Holy Cross does um, in in terms of schedule. But that's my – Yeah, since they don't play Miami, uh, they don't play Virginia, they don't play Virginia Tech, in those crossovers, I mean, any of those three as an ACC title game opponent, uh, if, you know, one of those three comes in with nine or ten wins, yeah, you you could add that as another, at the very least, another ranked win. Yep. And just to be clear for our listeners, I'm not predicting Syracuse to go undefeated and into the playoff, but it's just you know, this is what you think about in late July is if they knock off this team and theoretically knock off the rest of their schedule, can they can they be uh, a playoff team? Uh, wild card teams, TJ. Uh, what are your who's your wild card team in the ACC? Well, just based on the schedule, I had Syracuse. I mean, we talked about it there. If Tommy DeVito can continue uh, the level of play, not quite Eric Dungey level, but if he can be pretty good, uh, you know, they returned seven starters on defense, six on offense, uh, including a pair of very good receivers, a uh, good running back in Moniel, um, you know, and then their, their defense should be improved. So if Tommy DeVito can, you know, and he showed in some action last year that he could be quality, uh, if he can take a step up, um, I think Syracuse could be in for another very nice year just because of how well their schedule does set up. Yeah, Syracuse, I'm going the opposite direction um, for a wild card team. I'm taking Florida State. They're a program yeah, who absolutely. went 5-7 and seven last year. There's <laughs> a lot of questions about Willie Taggart. If this team – does he get a quick hook at Florida State if they don't perform well? You'll know right off the bat uh, with Boise State at a neutral site. Um, and then you have a, a trip to Virginia in week three uh, before two home games in an open week. And then you go to Clemson and Wake Forest. You could have three losses before October 19th. Uh, and – that's going to make these Seminole fans very uneasy. Are you looking to replace Willie Taggart, who's only in his second – this will be his second year, uh, but Florida State's coming off of, uh, I think, a six-win or seven-win and a five-win year, and they had to get that, that last win by scheduling ULM um, late after after a game got rained out to make sure they went to a bowl game with six wins. Uh, in in 2017, is this you know do do they are they an entitled fan base an entitled football school who pulls the plug early, um, and this is a, it's a big time school uh, and, and a big time job that will have implications na- nationally uh, if they start this coaching carousel early, and that's why they're my wild card team. They could also be very good. Uh, they have guys coming back from injury. They have James Blackman. Cam Akers is back at um, at running back. They always have athletes at receiver. The defense is usually really good. 
Um, but it's the off- can the offensive line protect these guys? Can they get the ball into their athletes' hands? And can um, can somebody stay healthy at quarterback? Other than that, you know, they they maybe they they give Clemson a run for their money, but maybe they're also looking for a new coach in December. So they're my wild card team in the, in the truest sense of the wild card. Um, let's move on to the SEC. And here's the thing that I noticed about the SEC this year. There are no coaching changes. Yeah. It's stability is the name of the game in college football. If you want to be good, you have to give a coach enough time to get his players in there, to lay a foundation, uh, to set expectations in a culture, and then win. Um, sometimes you know it if it's true after two years. Sometimes it doesn't take until year ten. But there were no coaching changes in the SEC. So last year, we had Bama versus Georgia, 11 bowl-eligible teams, just like the ACC uh, a year ago. Bama wins. Um, you know, they had Jalen Hurts come off the bench and rip the hearts out of, out of Georgia fans again for the second year in a row. And um, I, I think it's going to be Bama and Georgia again. But no coaching changes. Um my championship game, it's going to be Alabama. I think it's going to be Georgia coming out of the East. Uh, I don't really trust Florida as much as I trust Georgia right now to come out of that division. Um, and it's, I think it's now or never for Georgia to beat Alabama. Uh, you're going mm-hmm. to start graduating some of these guys and getting the stigma of you can't get over that hill. Uh, it's now or never for them. Uh, Alabama – they're just a machine. They keep rolling dudes out. Um, you got two is back. You got uh, Jerry Judy at receiver. The defense is going to be stellar. Uh, offense is going to be stellar. It's can they focus through the whole season and, and avoid that hiccup to, to Auburn or LSU and, and get to that um, get to that SEC title game. Uh, with an unblemished record, and, and then take you know the either the one or the two seed uh, into the college football playoff, and, and that's what you're talking about with Alabama and Georgia. You're talking about somebody who's going to be one of the top two seeds, maybe a three seed in the college football playoff, and and running with it. So those that's my championship game prediction. What's your championship game prediction, TJ? Yeah, I'm going to match you, Alabama and Georgia. Uh, really, really big fan of Eric Fromm. I think he is uh, <laughs> Eric Fromm. Well, former Butler player Eric Fromm, not nearly as good at basketball as Jake Fromm is at uh, football. So really big fan of Jake Fromm, quarterback for the Bulldogs. Uh, I think DeAndre Swift is a high-quality running back as well. Uh, a couple question marks uh, regarding having to replace so much uh, in the playmaking department, especially wide receiver. Georgia, but I, I do think that you know they're going to have a nasty defense again. They've got so much talent recruiting so well, and I think the leadership and stability of Fromm uh, is going to get them over the top of Florida. Uh, Alabama, I mean, what an offense. Uh, Tua, you've got Najee Harris probably going to be the, the bell cow back, but of course they've got a lot of options there as well. 
and then a receiving trio of, you know, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, and Devontae Smith, like all three of those guys just so explosive. Um, with Tua, you know, getting that ball around to him, I really like that offense for obvious reasons. Uh, but I, I do agree with you. You know, there, there's a little bit of vulnerability there just because we have seen them really get punched in the mouth. Um, I do think, typically speaking, though, Nick Saban teams respond very well to that in the following season. So it would not shock me at all to see Alabama come out, uh, really stomp some mud holes in people early on. I, I don't feel good if I'm Duke uh, as Alabama gets to open up against the Blue Devils. And then it's New Mexico State, at South Carolina, Southern Miss, and Ole Miss. Uh, I don't see any way that they're not 5-0 and with five pretty easy victories before they head to Texas A&M on October 12th for what should be a really fun one. Yeah, the, the only thing that has surprised me about Alabama this year is that they agreed to play a home-and-home series with Wisconsin. So Alabama is heading – North of the Mason-Dixon line, I think for the first time since yeah. 2011, in like 2024, 2025, some place way too far down the road uh, to think about. But it's That's a fun game, though. Th- this, uh, it is a fun game, and it's fun to think about. It's just 2025 could wait. Um, but in terms of Alabama's schedule this year, they don't really have that marquee non-conference game. They're, they're playing Duke. I think this is the return game from them playing at Duke in 2010, which was just a weird game um, to have Very, Alabama come yeah. down to Durham and Wallace Wade Stadium. It's just, you know, it's weird. <laughs> uh, but, you know, they don't really have that non-conference opponent. Um, you know, they have Western Carolina, New Mexico State, who else, Southern Miss, and um, and Duke. It just that that does not. This is this is the non-conference schedule that makes people scream bloody murder. Um, they want to see Alabama, Ohio State. They want to see Alabama, Michigan. Instead, they don't want to see Alabama, Duke, or Alabama, New Mexico State, or Alabama, Western Carolina. Nobody cares about that. They want to see Alabama play one of the big boys, and, and that's just not on the slate this year. The SEC is tough enough. So I understand what they're doing. Um, maybe this comes back to haunt them if they lose a game or two, a game or two in the SEC. Well, yeah. they don't have that strength schedule. That non-conference opponent who's top five at the beginning of the year that they just absolutely hammered, like Florida State a couple years ago, uh, to, to to rely on. So it's going to be interesting. Um, with Alabama to see if and when they tri- uh, trip up and, and if that trip up with, without the cushion of a real tough non-conference opponent um, where, where they fall in the, in the playoff committee's eyes. Uh, but I do like Alabama to come out of the West again. And, uh, you know, they do have to go to Auburn. They do have to go to Mississippi State in that trip to Texas A&M. is not an easy one. Neither is an early trip to South Carolina. But this is Alabama, and until they prove otherwise, uh, you can trust Alabama. Uh, out of the East, uh, you like Georgia? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Georgia over Florida. I do think Florida's pretty good, though. Uh, early test for them against Miami in week zero. Give me the Gators in that one, uh, and I think that that will help 
further strengthen the case of the SEC. Not that they need uh, any more pumping up of their ego. Yeah, I just I I don't trust Florida as much as I trust oh, I Georgia either. right yeah. now, which which yeah. might make Georgia fans scream a little bit because um, you know the the stuff surrounding Georgia sports is that they always choke and blow it away. Uh, but if you look at at Florida in the East, you have to go to Kentucky, uh, which could be a tricky game. You have to play at LSU in a crossover game. At South Carolina is tough. You get Auburn, of course, um, and I think the South's oldest rivalry. And then you the end the year with Florida State, who if they're playing well, that's a tough game. If they're not, you know, it's a it's a brand name non-conference opponent, which could boost your resume and maybe send you to college football playoff. But Florida is going to trip up somewhere along the way, um, whether it's against Georgia in the world's largest cocktail party or, you know, one of those two weeks where they're back-to-back on the road at LSU and out at South Carolina. And one of the themes, TJ, I'm, I'm looking at this year, in terms of some of these conference uh, division championships are these crossover games and um, spoiler alert for the big 10. Some of my big 10 predictions come off of who are your crossover games. And, and if you have yeah. an easier cross yep. crossover game, um, it, it really makes a difference than playing, you know, Ohio state, Michigan and, and Penn state as your crossover games when you get, you know, Maryland, Indiana, and, and Michigan State or something like that. So I think those three games really play a difference. And I think in the SEC, when one team has to go to LSU and another team doesn't, um, it's going to make a difference. So I I think Georgia as well. What is your – who's your wild card team in the SEC, TJ? I mean – so many options because I, I really do think that there are, um, I mean, it's an understatement, you know, a lot of good teams in the SEC, but I think there's like six top 15 teams in the SEC. Um, my wild card is Auburn. Uh, they play so many um, high-level contenders that I, I really think that they could be quite the spoiler. I mean, their schedule is ridiculous. Oregon at Texas A&M, at Florida, at LSU, uh, Georgia and Alabama at home. Uh, that's just a murderer's row. They could be a really, really good team and go eight and four. Um, but, you know, I, I think that they've got uh, an interesting team that if Joe Burrow takes a step up and if five-star running back uh, freshman John Emery can be as good as what he looks like he could be, LSU is going to be an absolute bear to handle. uh, And they will certainly take a couple of L's given the schedule, but they could really um, give give some high-level opponents some losses as well, uh, particularly at home when they host Alabama. Or I'm sorry, uh, I was talking about LSU. I completely – Lost my train of thought. I apologize for that. But a um, little bonus LSU coverage. Auburn, uh, their schedule, ridiculous. Um, they've got the difficult schedule. LSU does as well. But uh, 
most interesting thing for Auburn is going to be they've got a high-level defensive line, which is really important, obviously, in college football. Uh, the big question for Auburn is going to be you've got a lot of returning starters on the offensive line, and all five are back. Uh, who is going to be the quarterback? That's the big question. And I, I'm interested to see who they choose. Bo Nix, um, redshirt freshman Joey Gatewood, and then Malik Willis. Uh, I, I'm, you know, Gatewood is a guy that comparisons from spring practice were, hey, he's playing like Cam Newton did, which is ridiculous. But it gives you an idea, like, we've seen Auburn succeed with that before kind of a big quarterback that not all that great throwing, but just, you know, bullies you. Uh, and Gatewood has the frame to do that. Even if they don't go with him, there's a lot of talent there, and it could be the best defense in the SEC uh, because of Marlon Davidson and Derek Brown uh, on the defensive line, two first-round NFL draft picks probably. Uh, and Auburn is going to have the chance to spoil some team seasons. I don't see them – being a, an SEC West contender, but I do see them being good enough to give a lot of teams a lot of headaches, uh, and even despite that schedule, winning eight games. Now, that's probably not good enough for Auburn fans, I understand, but uh, I think they're a very interesting team that could really ruin some seasons for a team like Auburn or a team like Alabama, uh, a team like Georgia. You know, if you lose one game to Auburn, uh, it's probably not a huge deal, but if you've already got a loss somewhere else, Auburn could knock you out of that playoff discussion right away. Uh, and, hey, if they get on a roll, that late-season schedule has them seeing Georgia and Alabama at home, and you can just imagine what the atmosphere is going to be like in those last four games, which are all at home, uh, if Auburn is in contention for anything. Yeah, it's kind of like that kick six here when uh... – Auburn yeah. had those two miracle plays uh, to beat Georgia where, where I think it went off the defensive back's hands and into an Auburn receiver's hands in the last minute or so, and, and they scored a touchdown to win. And then, of course, the, the kick six uh, against Alabama to, to go to the national title game is, uh, you know, fresh in the back of the Alabama fans' mind. So you get those two guys at home, you get to dictate you get to dictate your own story. You beat those two. You should be going to the college football playoff and, and probably are representing the West uh, in the SEC title game and, and might mm-hmm. get a chance at, uh, at a shot at Florida. Um, so, yeah. Auburn, Plus you, you hold all the chips there. Yeah, and, and, and an early game. So, those, um, those are definitely uh, – good to have in your pocket as an Auburn fan uh, to look ahead to my wild card team. You mentioned them. Uh, LSU is my wild card team. I, they're going to be tough. They're coming off a 10, 10 win season. Joe Burrow's back for yeah. year two. I think they finally figured it out at quarterback a little bit. As long as he stays healthy, they do have to replace the running back in Nick Brissett, who ran for over a thousand yards and, and 14 touchdowns last year, but they have two guys, uh, or they have Clyde, Clyde Edward Hilaire back, uh, um, to take over. He ran for over 650 yards and seven touchdowns. Joe Burrow is also 
uh, on there as well as a running threat. He scored seven touchdowns. Almost everybody's back on defense outside of Devin White, although Devin White was a fantastic um, defensive player. You get uh, you get a lot of talent back as well. So it will be um, it'll be interesting. You get Alabama at home, or sorry, you have to go to Alabama, but you get Texas A&M to end the season at home. You get Florida at home as well, and so you could kind of. Uh, control your own destiny, and you get uh, have to play at Texas. So that's why LSU mm-hmm. is my uh, wild card team. And um, what is your best game in the SEC? Well, I went with the Iron Bowl. Uh, I think you could go with any number of games. There's so many good ones. Uh, it seems like every week there's a major marquee game in that conference that you you know really. Uh, be anxious to go to and, and see the atmosphere of it. Um, but I ultimately went with uh, Alabama-Auburn, the Iron Bowl. Uh, it's at Auburn this year, and it so rarely disappoints. So went with that one. Yeah, I, I, again, just like the ACC, I, I think there are two two games that, that'll – that game, three games that, that could potentially um, change your, your division winners. Uh, that game yep. – and then. LSU at Alabama's uh, Alabama's had their number the last couple times, but that's that's a heated rivalry with Saban. And then of yep. course Florida Georgia is you don't want to say a de facto East title game, but that's what it could come down to the winner of that game heading to the SEC title game to, to represent the East Division. Uh, but the SEC has week in and week out has a, a great game on every week. And so it's really tough to pick just one or two of them. And a lot of it depends on, on results earlier in the season, Auburn, Oregon, LSU, Texas, uh, and, and things like that really will shape if, if either of those teams lose early, lose multiple games early, it kind of takes the luster off of their matchup with Alabama uh, if Florida loses to Miami and, and Georgia loses early, that takes the luster off of that game. Um, so a lot of it depends on, on early season results, but the SEC is always entertaining. Uh, they have the best music on their their network station as well. They just, I hate to say everything means more, but they do things a lot better than most of the other conferences. There's no, there's no talk about the SEC playing 9 a.m. games so people could watch them. If the SEC had a game on at 9 o'clock at night, uh, local time, or 10 o'clock at night, local time, people are going to go, and uh, they don't have those problems. The SEC is just fun to watch. If you're a a college football fan and you want the the pure just stuff of college football, you've got to watch an SEC game. Um, And it'll just – it takes your breath away a little bit about with the pageantry, the passion, um, and and everything. It, it, you could be watching, you know, Ole Miss, Mississippi, or sorry, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, or you know, uh, Kentucky, Florida game. Anybody in the SEC, and, and it's a fun game. Um, so that's my take on the SEC. Uh, that's any final thoughts, TJ? No. No, I, it, I agree with everything you just said. Uh, really, really love watching that conference play. 
it, it's just a great product. Um, excited for our, uh, our next previews, and then we uh, get into our bread and butter, the Big Ten, uh, but certainly excited to continue this as we uh, get ever closer to the season. Yep, and before the Big Ten, next week we got the group of five. Don't want to leave them out in independence. So we will talk Notre Dame, BYU, Army. Uh, who else is in there? Um, UMass. Army. Uh, all those independent. Yep, said Army's going to, you know, Army is fun to talk about now. Talk about a triple option team yeah. who, who could rattle some cages uh, and, and make some noise and, and maybe put a scare into Michigan. Uh, they're a fun team to we talk about. And, and uh can only hope. But they're a fun team to talk about. Uh, we'll have a group of five as well who should have some, some strong matchups as well. So, TJ, thanks, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll close the podcast out. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody. All right. That does it for our SEC and ACC previews. Thank you for joining us as we go around the nation. Uh, to talk college football, we'd like to step out of our comfort zone uh, in the Big Ten and talk about other conferences as well uh, and how they look. We're just passionate about college football and, and talk about this stuff. And um, we like the, the national view of it as well, not just our little uh, cubby hole in the Big Ten and, and see how the rest of the nation affects the Big Ten and affects the college football playoff as well. So thanks for being along with the ride, you can check us out at HoosierHuddle.com. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes as well as anywhere else you get your podcast from. And follow us on Twitter at Hoosier underscore Huddle. Uh, and we'll be back next week to break down the group of five as well as independence. And then we'll get back into the familiar Big Ten and, and we'll have a separate preview for the Big Ten West and the Big Ten East. That way we can touch on every single team uh, in in those conferences and give them uh, their due diligence as well. So thank you. We'll be back on same time on Monday next week. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence.